Amen. Psalm 123, God's Word says this, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. This is the word of the Lord. As I began studying for this passage on Monday, I had no idea what was to come this past week. But I found that God's timing is always perfect. He, in His sovereign will, has brought about this passage to encourage us this weekend. As many of you know, uh, on Wednesday evening, our church grieved the tragic loss of a former member of our congregation, a man who sat with his family uh, for probably the first two years of my pastorate here, right here in the front row, and would loudly proclaim amen at the things that he agreed with. A member who still has family who call this church their church home. His son just came off of our deacon team after serving a number of years uh, on our deacon team and ministers uh, to our kids. And his, his mother uh, is one of our beloved widows that we love so much and we have served over this past year as her husband had passed just last year. And so we, be, we are continuing to pray and minister to that family and our, our hearts are grieved and broken for them. God's timing is perfect in bringing us this psalm this morning. On Thursday morning, we awoke to to news of turmoil in Europe as bombs riddled targets in the sovereign state, Ukraine. We cry out these words, Lord, have mercy. We cried out to God as we read through the prayer updates for our our mission partners, Mulberry International, who have stayed and are actively ministering in a war zone. And we cried out these words, Lord, have mercy. As we grieved on Wednesday evening at the the information coming in about, about the passing, the tragic passing of this former member, we cried out in that time, Lord, have mercy. But it's not just in the, in the grand scale events that, that we utter these words, but the many small battles that each of us face individually as we travel through this journey that we call life. God is in seemingly all these little details of life. He cares for them, and so we collectively cry out, Lord, have mercy. The main idea for the passage this morning is this. The main idea is this. The kingdom of God will receive opposition from the surrounding world, but take heart and look to the one who provides mercy. Lord, have mercy. Psalm 123 doesn't doesn't seemingly give us answers to the immediate complexities of life. We'll probably get that more from the next psalm, Psalm 124. But it does this for us. It models for us the posture of a believer before the God who is enthroned in the heavens above. 
It models for us when, when life gets difficult and tough and we have no answers to the problems, what our posture is before God. What we do when opposition looms. What we do when you are at the end of your rope. When things are pressing in all around you, what do you do? We proclaim these words from 123 verse 1. It says this, To you I lift up my eyes, hear this, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. This passage is so incredibly relevant, isn't it? As as we pull our eyes back from current events and prepare for the days ahead, Family, take heart. We worship and are are united through Jesus to this, to the God of all mercy. To the God of all mercy. We must remember this truth. The reality is this. The world has changed drastically in the last two years. The world has changed drastically. And this is evident in our everyday lives and also in the practice of our faith. Things have changed. What we perceived as normal before, I hate to break it to you, but is never going to return. We're never getting back to normal. Normal will never return to the life of the church, what we perceived as normal just two years ago in March 2020. But we know this truth from our main idea, and we draw this from this passage. The kingdom of God will receive opposition from the surrounding world, but take heart and look to the one who provides mercy. We must steadily equip ourselves to have the mindset, spirit, and actions of the Beatitudes that Jesus taught us in Matthew chapter 5. He preached these uh, specific ones here that we're going to look at, Matthew 5, 9 to 12. I think they are so fitting in, in the time and place that we are in. Jesus says this, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs, hear this, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Jesus tells us this, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. What a beautiful promise that Jesus gives us. This is a mindset that we must have as we journey along the way. Again, context alert, bringing us back into the psalm. What's the context of the psalms of ascent? We've talked about this for the last few weeks. These psalms are written as pilgrim songs uh, to be sung as the Israelites journeyed toward Jerusalem for festival. The journey is long and hard. New obstacles come along the pathway. The taunting, proud, arrogant, contemptuous world looks on and mocks, and we cry out what? Lord, have mercy. We must embrace family, the words of our Lord Jesus, because He didn't only speak them to us. He embodied them in His earthly life. He displayed them for us. Jesus was persecuted for righteousness' sake. He was reviled and mocked and slandered. And ultimately, he rejoiced when he triumphed over his enemies. His word says this, that he triumphed over them by disarming them, 
and putting them to open shame at the cross. His enemies thought they had the final word, but ultimately Jesus did and does have the final say. Lord, have mercy. The kingdom of God will receive opposition from the surrounding world, but family, take heart and look to the one who provides mercy. And so we look at three hopes that the Lord's mercy will provide for you this morning. Hope number one, may the Lord's mercy bring this clarity. May the Lord's mercy bring clarity. Clarity is is so important to, to both uphold us and also to be a light to those that are surrounding us. Here's the truth. In, in this changed world that we live in, people are looking for clarity. They're looking for clear understanding. And here's the beautiful truth, family. We have the source of all clarity. Psalm 123, verse 2, it says this, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, hear this, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Look at the position of the psalmist in this passage. They're looking up, right? They are beneath the Lord. He's looking to the hand of his master. In the same manner, our our eyes looked look to God. We talked last week about, uh, remember, we we talked about pulling our eyes off off the immediate issues that we're facing and focusing them on on the horizon of eternity, right? The the mountain lifting up in the distance. Now, in, in this passage, we take our eyes off of those who mock and press in against the kingdom of God, and we do this. We look to the one who has mercy upon us. We look to the one who has mercy upon us. He is the one who is enthroned in the heavens. God is this. He is the one true sovereign. He is in control. And God does this. He determines what truth is. Because he is this. He is the God of all truth. The Bible says this about God. He cannot lie. God is unchangeable. You want to talk about clarity? He's a God of truth, and he's unchangeable. And if you spent five minutes watching the news or being out in the world and listening, this is good news, that God is unchangeable. Because the reality is this, everything in the world system constantly shifts and changes. God is unchangeable. Christian, I believe this is a light that we can shine in the world, that we worship a God that is unchangeable when everything in society around us is shifting and changing. And my truth is my truth, and your truth is your truth. That's a lie from the pit of hell. God is the source of all truth. Take heart, family. God's mercy is evidenced in the clarity of who he is. He is on his throne. 
He is sovereign. And he is also, we find this from his word, he is the creator God. So if you create something, you get to set the rules. And the beauty of this is, hear this, they never change. They're constant. God's word says this, when the world says your truth is your truth and my truth is my truth, God's word says this in Hebrews 13, 8 to 9. It says this, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. That's a long time, isn't it? So then, he instructs, do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace. God is unchangeable. The Lord's mercy is evidenced in the clarity of his unchangeableness and our position to that. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. We never have to guess what God is like. We never have to guess this, the objective source of truth. The world says truth is subjective. It's whatever I make it. The Bible says no. Truth comes from the one true God who is unchanging. And we should all say amen because we know what he is like. Thank you. That just made me feel all warm inside. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the truth, isn't he? Let us not waver from the clarity we have as God's servants. He is sovereign. He is unchanging. He is the same today, yesterday, today, and forever. This is evidence of God's mercy. God didn't have to give this clarity to us, this mercy, but in his compassion and forgiveness, he showed his love towards those who have sinned against him and has granted us this, the mercy of clarity. The mercy of clarity. Number two, what's the next hope that we have? It says, may the Lord's mercy bring this community. May the Lord's mercy bring community. Notice in this passage the shift in language from verse 1 to verse 3. There's a change. It went from singular, I lift my eyes, I, me, right? How many is that? One. To plural, us and we. Okay? More than one. A group of people. It says this in verse 3, have mercy upon Do you notice this? Us, O Lord, have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. God's collective people crying out to him together. As I noted in in my introduction, we we had a difficult week as a church. In a a text exchange with one one of our members, this person said to me, These exact words, I'm thankful we've all got each other to get through this and to offer support to others. Where would we be without our church family? 
It makes me ask this question. Like, how do people get through life without the community of faith? All my life since I've been a part of the church, the church has carried me through some of the darkest times of my life. I'm thankful for each and every one of you. The way we carry each other. I'm not sure how people get through life without a community, but the mercy of God is evident in a loving community of believers just like this. Just like clarity sets the the church apart from the confused world, community also sets sets us apart from an incredibly isolated world. Would you agree that our world is becoming more and more isolated, more and more closed off? People are lonely. They're lonely. And they don't even know it because they're, they're addicted to devices and programs that are supposed to make us feel more connected, but we're more distant from each other than we've ever been, I think, in the history of the world. We have hundreds or, or even thousands of so-called friends, right, on Facebook or, or followers on Instagram, and, and yet we are left with no real, deep, meaningful connection on those platforms, I have people that I'm friends with on Facebook that I wouldn't say hi to if I walked past them in a grocery store. They're my friends. They like my post. They put little smiley faces on them. And if I walked past them in the grocery store, I might not even recognize who they are. How isolated are we? The mercy of the Lord is evidenced in the community of believers together, physically gathered, coming together, people together in real relationship, not some digital fake world. Real, meaningful relationships. I can imagine now taking ourselves back into context. The Israelites are journeying towards Jerusalem, and and if you'll imagine with me, the the scoffers are seeing them travel towards Jerusalem for festival, and and they're yelling at them, and they're mocking them, and they're throwing stones at them, and the Israelites, their song is getting louder and louder, and their voice is growing stronger together as they say this, have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. What a sight to behold. We are, here's the simple truth, we're better together. We're better together. May the Lord's mercy bring community to your life. Here's what I, this is the, the desire of my heart for this church. I want you to be connected. I want you to be connected to one another. We want this. We want to bear your burdens with you. We want to pray with you. We want to help provide when you're short. We want to correct when you've gone astray, and we want to be corrected when we've gone astray. We want to encourage you when you're weary. We want to weep alongside you in empathy. We are a community of believers that wants to celebrate in your greatest joys, and we want to embrace you in your times of triumph and victory. And I believe, family, in this time where things have changed, that this will be a powerful light in the darkness. 
that the church gathered together in unity and joy and bearing each other's burdens shines a light in a very dark place. Because the church provides a place of physical, in-person belonging and connection where the rest of the world is glued to screens and living some sort of fantasy life through everybody else. We binge watch TV because we want to disconnect from our problems and live in somebody else's problems because the TV programs are only about problems, aren't they? They wouldn't be interesting. And so we pray this for each other, Psalm 122, 6-9. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, hear these words, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. This is my prayer for this church. Peace be within you. Number three, hope number three, may the Lord's mercy guard against bitterness. May the Lord's mercy guard against bitterness. Verse 4 says this, Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. May the Lord, the Lord's mercy guard us against a bitter heart. Who here has been around people that are bitter? It's hard, isn't it? It's just bitter so difficult to be around and it's incredibly sad to see someone who's just riddled with bitterness just won't let it go but i believe that the lord's mercy guards us against this his holy spirit guards us against bitterness we've done this as we've traveled through this passage this morning we've looked up okay we've looked to god We've seen an aspect of his mercy, and that is clarity, that he's unchanging. He's the source of all truth. We've looked out. We've looked around. The out aspect of the Lord's mercy is that we have community. We see the words us and we in here, that we're together. It's the Lord's mercy that we have each other to uphold each other. Again, how how do you get through life without a community of support to love you in the midst of your junk, right? Just in the midst of your stuff. And now we're going to look at this. We looked up, we looked out, now we're going to look inward. We look at the in aspect of the Lord's mercy. May the Lord's mercy guard against bitterness. In other words, may the Lord's mercy guard your heart against itself because we have this inclination towards bitterness because of sin. I want to get that person back. It's our inclination. And here's here's the truth. I want you to hear this. If you struggle with bitterness, I think we all do at times. Bitterness does nothing to those who scorn you, for those who are proud or arrogant, who stand over you in contempt. They are not affected one bit by your bitterness. You know who it does affect, though? the person who's bitter. Bitterness will erode your soul. Bitterness will steal your joy. Bitterness will destroy 
your life. Hand it over to God. Lord, take my bitterness. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, the psalmist says. The author of Hebrews addresses this issue of, of bitterness in Hebrews 12, 14 to 15. The author says this, Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Hear this, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled. Do you want to know, family, do you want to know why bitterness has no place in the life of a believer? Because we have clarity on who God is. We know this from His Word, that, that He is the just judge of all, that he, he sees all things, and that He will handle it. Moreover, this is, this is where grace comes in. This is why we can't be bitter. We have, we have no right to harbor bitterness towards others. Why? Because of the gospel. Because of the good news about who Jesus is and what he has done. The gospel is antithetical to bitterness. They can't exist together. If we are people of the light, then how can we harbor this, the darkness of bitterness? You see, because if anyone could be bitter, it could be God. God could be bitter. If, imagine if you would, if, if, he was a, if he was a bitter God, God would be just sitting and on his throne recounting all the misgivings of humanity. Can you imagine the, the internal dialogue? If God were, were really bitter, he'd be thinking, man, I made Adam and Eve. I gave them everything. A beautiful garden, fruit to eat. I mean, they're just kind of naked walking around and everything's good. Everybody's happy. God's thinking, man, it must have been a, a sight to behold Adam when, when I created Eve and she came out and he said, whoa, man. Bad dad joke, I'm sorry. <laughs> If God was a bitter God, he'd be like, and then they went. I gave them fruit. I gave them a garden, a beautiful place to live. They disobeyed me. They didn't listen to me. But here's the truth. This is the beauty of our God and his grace. He did not become bitter towards them. What does his word tell us? He, he didn't spend and is not going to spend all of eternity in self-pity and loathing all that he had made. No, it says this in Genesis, that he came seeking them and calling them. He called out to them. And the Bible tells us this, after they sinned and disobeyed God, that God sacrificed an animal and he covered, he did this, he covered their nakedness and shame with the animal skin. This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. It reminds us of Jesus. Jesus did this. He, he came perfectly and Jesus lived in our place. His word says this, that he, he is the unblemished lamb of God. 
John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God that saves the world. And just like the, the animal that was sacrificed in the garden, Jesus gave up his life on the cross for us. Does that sound like a bitter God to you? Jesus died bodily. His blood was shed as an atonement for our sins. 1 John says this, that he is a propitiation for our sins. It means that he averted the wrath of God. He took on the wrath of God so that we didn't have to through faith. He turned away God's wrath and he gave us his own righteousness. Sure, it's quiet in here. First Corinthians 5.21 says that he became sin. Gave his righteousness to us. Here's the beauty. Jesus did not stay in the grave. But he rose from the dead. Three days later, and the Bible says this, that he is the first fruits of the resurrection. The new creation comes blasting into view. Jesus is alive. We're not left to our sin and nakedness, but are covered by the righteousness of Jesus. And, doesn't stop there, we're transformed into a new creation in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 With this, the promise of eternal life with that Jesus that's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So then, circling back around, how can we be bitter? How can we harbor bitterness? Because of the Lord's mercy as displayed in the gospel, we cannot harbor bitterness. But rather, as the author of Hebrews says, we strive for peace, and he says, and holiness. Strive for peace and holiness. Hear this. This is, this is a far cry from the world's ways. In the world, we've seen this play out. In the world, if you do one thing wrong to the wrong person, you're what? You're canceled. You're done. You're cast aside. You mess up once and you're ostracized. But in the kingdom of God, our loving Father says this. Hear this. This is beautiful news. Our loving Father says this. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And he says this. And I will give you rest. The world says, get out the Father says, come to me. The gospel is so beautiful when you compare it to the fleeting pleasures of the world. God's ways are clear and unchangeable. We're granted support and connection through the community of God's people, and we are given this, we're transformed from the inside out. We are given a transformed way of living that drives bitterness from our souls. You can't find this message in the world. You only can find it in the gospel of Jesus Christ 
And so therefore we can cry out these words, Lord, have mercy. 